0: It's my privilege for us to continue our studies of the book of Ecclesiastes. We began this study early in this year, and then in late May we discontinued it because of our summer series. One night in the month of July we got to return to it. But now, for the next few weeks, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm excited about this study. I don't know about you. The reason why I get excited about the book of Ecclesiastes is because it answers my questions. Everybody has their own questions about life. Why are we here? Where are we going? What's life mean? Solomon explores things more than just on the surface. Solomon goes to the very depths of the reason why things are as they are and how he wants us to respond. Solomon was the wisest man to walk the face of this earth outside our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, it's worth our time, it's worth our effort to read and study the book of Proverbs because it reveals to us the many great sayings of Solomon. But the book of Ecclesiastes is just a little bit different. What is different about it, it takes life and breaks it down for us. Tonight I want us to talk about the ponderings of the preacher now and then. You see, Solomon pondered, but not just for his own personal enrichment. He did this to be able to explain to others the meaning of everything. I want you to notice with me chapter 9 and verse 1. For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. You just think about what he said in that one verse alone. He said, I considered this all in my heart. Have you ever sat down and just thought about life? And about why things are as they are. He says, I considered this all in my heart. And of course, he's already gone through this many times up to this point. But he says something here that I might declare it all. Now, the word declare there is interesting. Because it is a word that indicates a person examining the evidence. They investigate And after they've investigated, they draw a conclusion, and this word then explains how someone conveys that to someone else. I've studied this through, I've learned it, and now here's how it works. Solomon says that's what he was trying to do. You know, if I study something through, sometimes I want to know it just for myself. But there's frequently, I want to be able to learn it so I can explain it to somebody else. That's what Solomon is doing here. And what he says is that whether you are wise or not, everyone is in the hand of God quite frequently. If you are like I am, I look around me and I wonder why things are as they are. And Solomon tells us that These things are in the hand of God. Now let me explain to you quite frequently, I think I'm in control of my life. King Nebuchadnezzar looked over his royal court and he said, just look at all these things that I have done. Look at all these things that I have provided for myself. And God had to remind old King Nebuchadnezzar that he also stood as a man in the hand of God. and Then he says something that people cannot discern if it is love or hate by what they see before them. Life is to many of us an enigma. It's a mystery. It's something we're trying to seek to understand. And so what Solomon will do here in chapter 9 is to deal with some very pertinent points with regards to this issue so he will talk about verses 2 to 3 the commonality that we all experience in verses 4 through 6 he will talk about choice as it relates to the here and now and as it will relate to then and then he will talk about something that is important in verses 7 through 10 the contentment that we ought to enjoy with what he has provided Then he's going to talk about chance and then we will finally wrap it all up with understanding a commendation of wisdom. Let's take now this first idea of commonality. If you've got your Bible open there, let's look at verses 2 and 3. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and The clean and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. This is an evil, or he who takes an oath and he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of men are full of evil. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. Now, as he opens this up, he makes a statement, all things come alike to all. And I can see some people saying, well, is that really true? Does everything come alike to all? Does everyone experience the same joys, the same pleasures, the same disappointments in life? No. Does everyone enjoy the same blessings of riches? Or everyone have to experience the same level of poverty? No. But that's not what Solomon's talking about. You have to be very careful that when Solomon speaks that you don't take categorical statements, that is, universal statements, and apply them to things that he does not apply them to. Solomon has observed that there is a commonality that has existed before, and he's looked at it in several passages. For instance, chapter 2, verse 14, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived... That the same event happens to them all. What is that great event that happens to the wise man and to the fool? You know what it is. It's death. Chapter three, verse nineteen. For what happens to the son of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them; as one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals. For all is vanity. Do you know what's the great common thing to every man, woman that walks on the face of this earth? They will die. In fact, it's not just every man, every woman. Every animal also dies. And Solomon's looking at the commonality of man here. And one's goodness does not change that. That's one of the things that would confuse most of us. We would want to think that if you're mean, you're wicked, you're vile, you ought to die. But if you are good and righteous and holy you ought to just live on. You ever think that way? Do you wonder why some of these old folks have been so mean and so ugly all their lives? Why do they get to stay here? Because God made this world that way. And God did not intend man to die though. You know where that came from? Satan. Solomon observes that the majority are evil. They're pursuing things that are not good. And he describes them as saying that madness is in their heart. You look up the word madness... And it's a word which means irrational or insane. Clearly, they're not thinking correctly. But that's what the rest of the Bible says as well. You remember this morning studying from Ephesians chapter 4 about the mentality of the Gentile mind? What he begins with is a commonality that we all experience in this life that death comes to us whether you're wise, whether you're wicked, whether you're righteous, in the end, all die. Hebrews nine twenty seven, And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. I don't think anybody had any difficulty understanding that. Now when you begin with verse 4, you will notice some statements that are very uh, strange, I guess is the way to put them. But for him who is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their enemy, envy have now perished. Nevermore will they share in anything done under the sun. If you look at this life only, what do you see? You see no justice. There's difficulty in understanding it. There's no sense in which you and I feel like that everything works out okay. Now I ask you to think about that. You find a very righteous person and the dreaded disease cancer afflicts their body. And in your mind you're looking you're saying, why does that happen to such good people? If this life is all there is, then it seems like life has been terribly unjust. But Solomon keeps telling us, you don't look at just this life alone, but to all the living there is hope. Because the choices I make now do make this all relevant. Because if I'm faithful to God, there's something after this life is over. When we get to chapters 11 and 12, we're going to see the blossoming, if you will, the fulfillment of that idea. And then he says that a living dog is better than a dead lion. The dogs in... Solomon's day were not little pets. You know, some of us have little dogs at home that have become almost like our little children. They rule the roost in our homes. Some of you have pets that you've owned for years. But in biblical times, a dog was considered to be a nasty scavenger. People detested them. On the other hand, a lion was considered to be the mightiest of the beast. He says a living dog is better than a dead lion. You have to realize that there are times when you are in this life, you can do something. You can make changes. You have choices. Once this life is over, you have no more choices. He goes on to say, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Death is observable. After you get to a certain age, it dawns on you that everything dies. I don't know when it really dawned on me. Perhaps maybe when I was about 10 or 12 years old. My great-grandmother died. That was one of the first funerals that I really remember sticking in my mind. And then I started thinking about death. And it seemed like just all of a sudden there was a bunch of death that occurred in my family. And then you really begin to understand death is a reality. You become a teenager and then you forget about it for a while. Until all of a sudden something happens. Maybe a classmate, like I had a classmate die of cancer. He was in class with us. Two weeks later, he was dead. All of a sudden. The dead living know that they will die. What do the dead know? The dead know nothing. Now, our friends in the Jehovah's Witnesses denomination think that this means that once you die, your soul just goes to sleep. It's not asleep, but they no longer, if you will look at verse 6, sharing anything done under the sun. They're no longer here, so they know nothing about what's going on here. Death ends their participation in earthly activities. In fact, to the point that they'll never share in anything done under the sun again. And he says their memory is soon forgotten. Do you know that several years ago, there were some people here at Bobby Branch, who worked hard to establish a congregation. Many of them led the prayers that were led during the services. Many of them led singing. Those beloved saints have passed on. If you were to raise the names of some of those people, you know what? Some people say, I don't, I don't think I remember them. Their memories soon forgotten. Their emotions, love, hate, envy, they're no more either. They're not walking here on this earth. You see, that's why choices are so important. Because while we're living, we can make those choices. That's why you preach to living people. Well, Solomon would look at life then and say, Well, what should I make of this? Verses 7 through 10 is going to talk about contentment. He said, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life which he has given you under the sun all your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life. And in the labor which you perform under the sun, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. But there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. If I can't do anything about changing life or death, then what should I do about the life that I now have? With the recognition that this is going to bring it all to an end, he says you should find contentment, you should find comfort, and you should find companionship. Notice as he illustrates those. Bread and wine, that was the fruit, food and the drink. He said, enjoy those. I think sometimes we look at life and think that if we get some joy out of it, we have misunderstood God's plan. Did God plan for food to be enjoyed? He did. God could have sustained us in other ways. He goes on to say, let your clothing always be white. The word white there sometimes indicates purity. Sometimes it indicates new and fresh. What happens if you live in a dusty climate to a white garment? It won't be long. It won't be white. Oil for your head. Oil for the body. These are blessings to be enjoyed. The best way I can compare this is God's saying, enjoy your new outfit and your new hairdo. Enjoy the blessings of that. David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Should David have said, Lord, you've given me all of this, so I'm going to ignore it. No. God gave him to enjoy it. He says, live joyfully with your wife. Marriage, family should bring joy. Some people don't know how to enjoy the blessings of God. God gave these things to bring happiness in this life and find contentment therein. Then he says something in verse 10 where he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. While you have this opportunity to enjoy this, don't let it slip by you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, And whatever you do, it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Realize, enjoy what you have been given, and make sure that you understand it all comes from God. Number four is chance. Look with at verses 11 and 12. I returned and I saw that under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happens to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. There are five different things that Solomon lists here. And he points out that the most talented do not always finish first. First thing he says, the race is not always to the swift. You know, you've seen people who are on paper, the ones who are supposed to win. If that were the case, then there would be no need for the Olympics. Just go ahead and say, the guy's in first place, we're going to give him the gold medal. No, they run the race. Why? Because on that particular day, Somebody else may be faster. Someone else may want it more. Somebody else will strive a little bit harder. He says the battle is not always to the strong either. You can have one nation that appears to be much more powerful find themselves falling before a lesser nation. Bread is not always to the wise. and. When you think of bread, sometimes it's a a figure. For instance, like give us this day our daily bread, our livelihood. It's not always to the wise. And then he says, riches to men of understanding. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. I heard it a lot when I was a kid. If you're so smart, why aren't you rich? Sometimes the most brilliant men are not rich. They may have knowledge, they may have understanding, but they didn't have the right opportunities. Nor favor to men of skill. Favor is the idea of popularity and being appreciated. What you find is there are two factors that limit each of these. Time and chance. You may be at the right place at the wrong time. You might be at the right time but the wrong place. Or you could be like me at the wrong place at the wrong time. And Solomon is saying that can factor in. And then this word chance. And don't think of chance as if it is just You know, just some event just happened to happen at that time. This is something unexpected as an event from our perspective. Not from God's perspective. God knows what's going to happen. But from our perspective, we're just like that bird that gets caught in a snare or a fish that gets caught in a net. That fish is just swimming along. He thinks life is going along just fine. All of a sudden, a net just rises up around him and he's caught. Or the fowler's snare, they call it the bird catcher. The bird flies in, he thinks everything's all right, but then he can't fly out. We're going through life, and it appears that everything is just random. But no, it's not just random. Notice the way he says, His time. His time. God knows what's going on. Time and chance happens to them all. So he's going to get to this last part here in verses 13 through 18. So he's told me to be content. And now he's saying, here is something I would commend to you. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it. And a great king came against it, besieged it, built great snares round it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered the same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom I have seen under the sun. What is it profit? You look around about you and you ask the question. If I could choose to be wise or be a fool... Which one would you choose? Well, obviously you'd say, I want to be wise. But then you have to ask the question, well, is it any more valuable to be wise than to be a fool? The commonality that he talked about earlier, everything's going to happen to everybody, the same, we're all going to die. Solomon said, even if, you look at life and you see where it could go, and you can see how things could respond. You still should want to be wise. And so he uses the illustration of a poor man in a small city being able to resist a powerful king. You would normally think that the why or the powerful king, because of the smallness of the city, could conquer it. You know I seem to remember Joshua and his advisors thinking that the little city of Ai, do you remember it? Oh, we don't need many men to go up there. It's it's small, it's insignificant. Oh, but you you lost, Joshua. The last part of verse 15 could be translated no one listened or remembered that same poor man. That agrees with verse 16 when he says Words are not heard. Sometimes we go through life and we don't understand there's value in listening to wisdom because that can guide our choices that he talked about earlier. Wisdom will benefit people only if they listen to it. And a sinner can destroy much good. It's really, as you look at life and you choose which you're going to follow, he says, I'm commending wisdom. I'm commending making good choices. Sinners can do a lot of damage, a lot of bad. Let me try to tie this all together. Solomon pondered now and then. You look at now and sometimes I can't always understand it. I look at the way people act and I wonder why God does things the way He does. But I understand that because there is a then, a time to come, it all begins to fall into place. It all begins to make some sense. All things considered, life has many good things to commend it. You can enjoy this life and all that God has provided to you in it. One only has time in this life to prepare for the next. Don't squander it. Very important passage, Ephesians five sixteen, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live in a time when men don't love the Lord as if they ever did. We live in a time where there's a lot of of wicked choices before us. As if those wicked choices didn't exist in the previous generation. Solomon is saying, look at the time you have, look at the choices made. Listen to the wise and make wise choices. And where we end, what would be the wise thing for you to do right now? You see, you do get to make a choice. Because there's more hope for a living dog than a dead lion. As long as you're in this life, you can make a choice. What is the wise choice? We're going to sing this song. And I am persuaded that the majority of this audience knows, but lest someone not know. You have to believe in God. You have to be sorry for the sins that you have committed to the point that it changes your mind. That's called repentance. You have to be willing to confess before others that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have to be baptized. Being baptized is a command that God gave to us. It's not... That that saves us, but it's the obedience to the command and doing what He said. There's nothing special about the water. What is special is the obedience to the Lord's command. And what God also expects us to do, those of us who are His people, is to look at life properly. Because we can see the other side. We know what's on the other side of this life. you're not living as God would have you to live, will you not respond as we stand and say